0: Hello, listener, and welcome to Straight Shot Health Talk. This is the podcast that provides honest and straightforward information about health, wellness, and how to survive our crazy healthcare system. This is for people who want to focus on getting well instead of just treating symptoms. Sound like you? Then let's get started. All right, welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Straight Shot Health Talk. This is your host, Dr. Kevin Cucaro. And we have an interesting episode today. We are going to talk about airlines. Now, we're not talking about frequent fly- flyer models. We're not talking about first-class upgrades. We're not going to talk about, I don't know, the best thing is to fly a plane or buy tickets because I don't know any of that stuff. But what we're going to do is we're going to kind of talk about airlines and compare them to healthcare, Because almost all of us know and understand airlines, at least we've... I think most of us have probably flown on a plane if you're listening to a podcast. Hopefully, not all of us have been in a hospital, though. And there's a big similarity. There's a very large similarity between the two, between the airline industry and the healthcare industry in both a good way and a bad way, as we're going to talk about. Now, this comparison has sort of been on my mind for a long, long time, and it's probably from my training because anesthesiology, when I was back doing my anesthesia training, we sometimes compared what we did as a pilot flying a plane. If you look at what we do in anesthesiology, the most dangerous times are when the patient goes to sleep and when the patient wakes up. And sort of the middle time period, which is generally the the place where you want to be bored and you don't want any excitement, you still have to monitor. And there's been some catastrophes happening because people weren't monitoring that time. Uh, is when the surgeon's actually doing the operation. But the highly stimulating times when things can go really kind of crazy is when they go to sleep and when they go to wake up. And if you sort of look at an airplane, it's very similar. The two most dangerous times in an airplane are when you take off and when you land. Generally, then you have a long, boring uh, flight period in the middle where things just happen. Or you're just flying along, sometimes on autopilot, but you still need to monitor. This just makes me remember a a news story, I think, from a year or two ago when, I guess, the pilot and the co-pilot got into an argument or in a big, deep discussion and then realized that with the autopilot on, they had overflown their destination by an hour or two hours. I mean, it was not an insignificant number, and they had to turn around and come back. And if I can remember or find that news article, I'll link it into the show notes. But anyway, there's two big periods of time taking off uh, the plane, which is also an anesthesia when you're putting a patient to sleep. There's the long flight in the middle. And for an anesthesiologist, that is when the surgeon is doing their operation. You know, Preferably, that's the boring time period. You still have to monitor, though, to make sure things are going well and you're not missing anything. And then lastly, when you're waking up, the patient from sleep is comparable to the airplane landing. All right. So let's just talk about the airlines in general then. You know, a couple different mindsets when it comes to, the gen- comes to the airlines and what we should be thinking about because we don't think about this all the time. And the first one is this. Customer service does not fly the plane. I'm going to say that again. Customer service does not fly the plane. Yes, customer service is important. Absolutely. Do we want to be on a nice airline? Yeah, absolutely. Does it If they have better carpet, better seats, better entertainment, are we happier? Yes, we are. But what we really should be asking for and what we really want is a safe airline with the best maintained planes and with a pilot and crew that can safely land and take off for you. And if something happens that they're experienced and able to do it. Now, if we focus solely on customer service, then what we get is we get people gaming the system, all right? We have people telling you jokes. We have people, um, uh, you know, giving you this and that or whatever, and, and that's okay, all right? But that has nothing to do with whether the plane is going to land safely or not, all right? Now, will it make an influence or influence your decision on where to go? Sure. And if you had a choice between comparable pilots and safe airlines, you're definitely going to go on one with the with the better customer service. That absolutely is true. But unfortunately, when it comes to healthcare, we don't have a way to, to gauge that underlying competency level on whether those Physicians and hospitals are doing the right thing, or are they're doing the thing that people want and is paid and they're paid to do? Now, interestingly, in the airline industry, and I looked this up, they did look at this uh, whether there was a relationship between service and safety quality in the U.S. airline. And what they found was that the level of safety quality was not significantly related to its level of service quality, meaning how safe it maintained. Uh, and update the you know the planes were and how well trained people were did not correlate with the customer service, whether people were satisfied with those airlines or not. Now, the difference though between the airline industry and the healthcare industry is that while in the the u s airline industry, their safety quality was actually high, meaning their service levels were the the customer service levels. Even if they had bad customer service, the planes and the flights and the ability to fly the plane were generally high, all right? This is not the case in medicine. The correlation or the only correlation that we've really seen thus far, despite this big push for patient satisfaction scores and things like that being published in all these websites that give you just patient satisfaction scores and ratings and reviews, which is, to be honest, completely superficial fluff And in a lot of ways, I would say if you see someone who's got five stars on whatever health site and it says glowing reviews the whole time and there's no other, you know, ones, twos, or threes, something's going to be wrong there. Because what's happening is those patients are probably getting what they want and much of it may not be what they need. Now, interestingly, and I think I talked about this in a previous episode, this was studied in the the Journal of the American Medical Association. I will link this again on the show notes that demonstrated when you took the least satisfied people in healthcare and the most satisfied people in healthcare, the people that got what they were on were highly satisfied with their doctors and the hospitals said, you though this is the greatest thing in the world. The highly satisfied patients used more drugs, had more procedures done on them, had more hospital time. They were in the hospitals longer, in more hospital admissions, but the worst thing was they died more often. All right. And people say, well, maybe those highly satisfied patients were just sicker than general. But that wasn't the case because when they took out that sick population or they controlled for that sick population um, and then reanalyzed the data, it got worse. So the people who were not even as sick were dying more frequently in the highly satisfied patient group. What this tells us, again, is that customer service does not fly the plane, customer service does not. guarantee your health. All right. Until we have a good way to to monitor that, be very, very wary of review websites of those customer service scores, customer press gaining scores. In fact, you know, and this is really hard to do. You want a physician that's going to tell you what you need to hear and not necessarily what you want to hear. Now, this is very, very hard if you have a single visit with a patient. But if you have an established doctor that you have gotten along with well over the years or if you're one of those lucky people that have had their family physician or general practitioner for years and years and years and they tell you something that you don't necessarily agree with, I would advise you to kind of step back and separate yourself. Because if you do, if you have a doctor that that may not agree with you on something and says, you know what, this is what the data says or whatever the case may be, That is a good thing. You want someone who is going to tell you what you need to hear, not what you want to hear. All right. Number two, the goal is to get off the airplane. All right. Now, some people will say, well, actually, that's not the goal. The goal with an airplane is that you want to travel from one place to another. And I will say, yeah, that's true. You get on the airplane because you want to get to some place or the other. But the overall, once you're on that airplane, The only reason you're on that airplane is to get off again. No one wants to stay on the airplane, or you shouldn't. Long periods of flying aren't good for you. You don't move your body. You can get life-threatening blood clots in your legs. Um, You know, the high altitude exposes you to radiation. You're in this enclosed area with often recirculated air that can expose you to viruses from other passengers. You know, we don't really fly for fun. (laughs) At least I hope we don't fly for fun. And we fly often because we don't have a faster, safer method of travel. Hospitals and healthcare are the same from a personal standpoint. The goal is to get out of the hospital or doctor's office. Now, true, sometimes you may be stuck in a hospital for treatment. You may have to see your doctor frequently for an acute health problem. Just like sometimes you have to take an intercontinental flight. I mean, if you have to get on a 16 hour flight from New York to Hong Kong, then you do. But the end goal is still there. You do not want to have that plane land and then get off of it and try to get back on it again. Now, why this is important is, is sometimes we are looking for answers in healthcare that we're not going to get. And sometimes those answers come from things, or I should say the treatments come from things that we need to do. And we talked a lot about the four fundamental uh, uh, keys for health, movement, eating real food, avoiding toxins, toxic things like cigarettes, toxic people, toxic places. And the last one is uh, you know, stress and social engagement, taking care of your stress, stress, overcoming overwhelm, and being engaged in a strong social network. If we continue to go, if you go to the doctor over and over again for lifestyles of chronic disease, high blood pressure, diabetes, et cetera, without doing anything for yourself, not actively engaging in those lifestyle behaviors, you're going to be on that plane forever. And the longer you're on that plane, the more risk you have of something bad going on. So remember, the goal is to get off the airplane. The goal is eventually to get out of your doctor's office and to get out of the hospital system as best you can. All right. Number three, in case of emergency, put your face mask on first. All right. This one we've all heard. You get on the airplane. They're doing those pre-flight instructions, and they always tell you when – if you're traveling with a baby or traveling with a spouse or traveling with whoever – if there's an emergency and the oxygen mass are deployed, put yours on first before you do it for anybody else. Now, they have to be very specific about this because particularly when it comes to our family, you know, our friends, we want to help them. We really, really, really want to help them. And we see this in our own lives with our families, again, that we're trying to do everything that we can for our families, but we neglect our own health. We don't take the time for us to relax. We don't take the time for us to exercise. We don't take the time for our diets. We don't take time to decompress, to get into you know periods of time where we build in relaxation throughout our day. We don't take the time to do this. But if you don't take care of yourself, you cannot take care of others. All right? Taking care of yourself first keeps you strong and healthy so you can help help others. It keeps you from... You know, if, if you're trying to help somebody and you are not in, in such bad shape that you are having your own disasters in your own life, you're not going to be able to help them. You're going to drag them down with you by trying to, to help them. Um, from a big stand, this was mind-changing for me after I had children. Your children will, mo- will model your actions. So if you are not taking care of yourselves, how do you expect your kids to take care of themselves? when you are saying you need to eat this, but you don't take care of your own diet, when you're saying you need to exercise, but you're not exercising for yourself. Or even if you somehow are talking to your children and you can control their diet when they're younger and so on and so forth, but you're not teaching them the stills or demonstrating your own actions, when they leave that house, they're not going to have... They're going to model what you did. They're not going to model what you want them to do. And so they can propagate that. When they have children of their own they won't take care of themselves. They'll be stressed out. They won't take time to exercise. They will neglect themselves thinking that they're doing their kids more good when they're not. Okay. Your kids need you to be strong and healthy for you too. This also helps your friends. If your friends can see you making good health decisions, following healthier habits, this can create a positive peer group, which then helps them. So they can say, wow, if, if, you know, John or Mary is doing it, then maybe I can do it too. Maybe they'll ask you for some suggestions. And when you have that positive peer group, if you're struggling, there's going to be other people around you that can help pick you up rather than being in a group where everybody's neglecting themselves, not taking care of themselves first, where if you're struggling and fall down, no one's there to help you pick pick you up. And in some cases, they may drag you down even further. And then there's actually some interesting studies on the power of peer groups. And one of the best well-known one was when it came to obesity, that the people with obese friends were more likely to be obese themselves. And there's some interesting theories on that. I should probably do an episode on that in the future, uh, but it, 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 it's huge. Take care of yourself first. Now, I'm not saying to neglect others, okay? I'm saying take care of yourself first so that you can better take care of others. All right, number four. Airlines are safe because of checklists and procedures. Now, when we fly on an airplane, there is a very methodical approach used for everything. A very systemized approach to what they do. I mentioned just a second ago about taking care of your search first, the pre-flight Uh, thing that we all sit through and we we all get upset at or not all of us, but sometimes we're kind of bored during it when they talk about making sure that your seatbelt is snapped on, when they talk about the, the, you know, if it crashes, what you're going to do and how to see the lighted, lighted floor light. So you can get to the exits where to know where those exits are, where the face mask drops. Well, why do they do this? Why do they have checklists for this stuff? and, this checklist is used because they want to make sure that they land and get done and, and they, they can take off and land that plane in the same consistent, safe manner. If you have a checklist and standardized process to do something, it helps you make sure nothing gets left undone. It helps to make sure that nothing is forgotten. Is it rigid? Absolutely. But I want it rigid rigid. I want it to be something that people have to look at. You're looking at pre-flight, flight, post-flight, maintenance checklist. All those things on those lists got placed there for a reason, oftentimes because of a huge disaster that developed because someone forgot to think about one of those two things. Now, because of this, that also means you know we can't take off when we want to. We can't just all of a sudden take the plane off of the, of the course. We can't change course in the middle of the flight. We can't land exactly where we want to, and that's fine. But we, because of these checklists, because of these standardized procedures— Airline travel is one of the safest forms of travel in the world. I mean, amazingly safe. Uh, and even safer than I imagined. I was actually researching this. They're incredibly safe. With 0.05 deaths per billion kilometers, is what the airline industry is rated at. Uh, if you want to put that in p- comparison, the bus, if you take a bus, that's actually pretty safe too. 0.4 deaths per billion kilometers, I mean, kilometers of distance. A van, 1.2, uh, train system, 0.6, a car is 3.1, which is astronomically higher than uh, airline travel and deaths per billions. So, airlines are very, 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 very safe. Why are they safe? Because they looked at what went wrong and they developed check- checklists and systems to address them. Now, hospitals should be more like airlines. All right. and there has been a move towards this, yes, about more checklists and things, but they have not done a great job of educating people on why those checklists are in place, and implementation remains very difficult. Physicians uh, are, like, herding cats. Um, you know, there's a whole host of reasons for that, uh, but they haven't really invested as much in the checklist mentality, because we're also told, when we do our training in medicine, is to think independently. Now, what this ends up is that we have hospitals and healthcare systems, which are much more like cars rather than an airplane and less safe like cars. We all want, including doctors, to have few general rules. We don't want to follow rules in general. We want to do what we think is the right way to do it. We want to change course when we think it's better. Uh, we don't want others that we don't even know to tell us what we're supposed to be doing. Um, And again, I'm I'm not talking—I'm talking doctors and patients here, too, because as a patient, we all think that we know or we think we know what we want. We also think that what we need, that may not necessarily be true. Now, we take—we also take whatever streets we want. We go the speeds we want, and we crash a lot or get crashed into Now, this analogy is important because all of us, all of us, not only doctors, not only patients, this includes me for sure, we tend to think our problems are special and unique. We believe that we need this MRI, we need this blood test, we need this specialist referral, whatever, because yes, I know everybody else is, it's not generally there, but my situation is different. Here's the thing, almost everything we experience is not unique. The majority of our pains and problems are not weird diseases. They're not the consequence of some weird disease process. In medical school, they call this the zebra principle. And basically what this meant is when you're an overzealous medical student and you're finally going out on the floor and you're seeing patients and you do your history and you do your physical exam, you come in and you think, oh my God, this patient just came in coughing. They have Ebola virus. All right. Now, it's probably not the best analogy right now because we've got Ebola running around and uh, spreading in Africa, but in general, you're not going to find Ebola virus here. And the zebra principle states that if you don't live in Africa and you hear hoofbeats, the first thing that you think of should be a horse, not a zebra. Now, because of this, again, me included, this idea that we're all so special and unique and that every pain that we have and every problem that we're having is so much different than everybody else's, we love zebras and we want things to get done. And when you have an air, an industry, this is different than the airline industry because airline industry, yes, they get paid to travel, but they don't get paid to pack the uh, or to alter plane flights and do crazy things and 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 do things weird all the time. They, you know, there's a ticket you buy it, you get on you're, and you're off. In healthcare, we get paid for what we do, and so we will go after more and more and more. We will order more tests. We will. Do more procedures. We will uh, send you to the specialist. Now, this is not just because of this, although. But there is a component to it. It's called intervention bias. Uh, I describe it in um, uh, in my ebook that I wrote, my Kindle book, but um, or at least touch on it a little bit more. But we have a choice between not doing and doing. And when you look at the U.S. healthcare system in in particular, we will go after doing rather than not doing. Now some people are going to say, well, that's because of legal concerns. Yes, that those are there. They're, you know, and this is really hard for me to say as a physician because I believe this for a long time. They're probably not. You know, people say, well, if I didn't have to worry about malpractice, I wouldn't order anything. Yes, maybe. But the other part of this, and one that nobody really wants to talk about, is if you weren't getting paid for it, you would be much much more likely not to err uh, on that side of the equation, meaning if you had a choice between doing and not doing, and you know for know that you really aren't getting that test for any other reason than uh, some absolute zebra thing out there that is highly highly unlikely that you don't have a strong de- degree of clinical suspicion for, maybe the patient is pushing you to get that test because they want this you know they they want to exclude something, but if you're not getting paid for that test, you'd be much less likely to order that test. Now, I'm going to, again, I'm going to kind of want to play the, not necessarily devil's advocate, but I want to address someone's concerns. I'm going to say, well, it shouldn't be all about money. And you're right. It shouldn't be about money. It should be about what is best for the patient, what we believe will help them, that will uh, get better, that will actually treat them or not treat them. As I said, a lot of times it's just time for a lot of these things. All right. And doctors may say, well, I don't get incentivized. I'm salary. yes. That's true. And when people are on a salary and they're not on a production-based fee scale, it may change a little bit more. Now, certainly when we start looking at outcomes in medicine, when we start measuring outcomes and having a single pot of money uh, that is you know, uh, out in this big pot or whatever and they, these health plans will get that money and then they have to divvy it up in, in certain ways, we may see better cost containment. And I'm, again, I'm not trying to anger anybody on this, but a lot of those tests, a lot of the things that people want are not necessary. And there is more information about how they're actually causing harm, but it is less publicized because it's not as sexy. It is not as interesting. Uh, it is not as dramatic as saying, well, they never got this test and then I had the super weird thing or my brother's sister's cousin had the super weird thing. Uh, but it is actually harmful. And there are studies out there I don't want to say this in a way that would be incorrect because I'm kind of go back in my memory here. But harms due to intervention of us doing too much are probably more present, more frequent, than those from doing less in healthcare. In fact, I'm pretty sure I have a couple of papers on that one, but I'll have to go back and look at them. All right, so checklists and procedures are good for healthcare. They're good for airlines and they're good for you. I mean, we talked about a way to think about a way to use a checklist way, way back. I think on episode two, it was the seven questions and those seven questions that you can use to kind of go through and strategize whatever it is your pain or symptom is before you go to the doctor so that you can think through it clearly and present it very clearly. And that'll help you to see your doctor and to, uh, Uh, present that information in in an efficient manner now there's other ways that we can use checklists there's other ways that we can think procedurally in a in a in a in a way that we can kind of try to take out all these extra variables that we can't control and remain focused on a very um okay what's the best way i'm trying to describe this is basically we use a checklist to take out the human element when it comes to figuring out ourselves because we're very very poor at uh, self-analysis about really determining what things are, our fears, our frustrations, our hopes, our dreams really sort of interplay on this. And they we, we just don't think very clearly because we all think that our pain, that our disease uh, is worse than somebody else's or maybe some other weird disease, maybe some zebra out there. And we need to use something so that we think through it logically. We need checklists and procedures, and it said we need them in healthcare. They have them in the airlines; it's made them very safe. And in some ways, we need to devise them for ourselves. All right. Well, I have talked a long time here, and hopefully, I didn't upset too many people with some of these mindsets. But what I do want to do is challenge you to think about your own health. I want you to think about the way that you interact with your doctors or the way you interact with your healthcare system. Think about ways that you can improve that, which ways we can kind of take out the, the, the human element that sort of makes it confusing and uh, take care of ourselves a little bit better. All right, everybody. This was longer than I anticipated, wandered on a little bit more than I wanted to, but until next time, stay well.